I'm Matt Valley, and this is the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust. Today's guest is Sam Albert, who is the Chief Digital Officer for the company Behaviorally. Some of you may know Behaviorally as PRS in vivo from back in the day, uh, but they really are not just a pioneer, but the pioneer when it comes to applying behavioral science and biometrics to the field of consumer research. Some people think it's new, but Behaviorally has been doing this for decades. If you work for a research supplier, I just dare you to try to compete against these guys for package testing or shelf testing. Um, they're the best in the business, that's for sure. So Sam is the classic story of sticking with one company and patiently climbing the ladder over time. So Sam started his career at PRS some 20 or so years ago. Um, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We, we don't want to go too. We, we'll leave it at twenty plus. Anything more? Than that. There you go. Twenty plus. Fair enough. Fair enough. But I, I assume it's been quite a ride because you you've stuck there all this time and and you've risen to uh, to the chief digital officer role. So very very cool. I'm really excited to to talk about that. But what I really want to talk about is your side gig, man. <laughs> So we'll do that in a minute. We'll do that in a minute and a whole lot more. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Hey, whenever I get a chance to talk, research, motorcycles. Oh, yes. <laughs> you tip my hand. You tip my hand. Okay, so of course, I'm, I'm uh, representing uh, as former uh, motorcyclist myself. But uh, okay, so let's let's start let's start with the research stuff, Sam. So okay. you get out of school, you're looking for yep. a job. How, how did you how'd you find PRS and and tell us about your your ride there? So uh, this is gonna date me. This goes back to the twenty plus years, but it was an ad in newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> a newspaper ad. Wow, a newspaper cool. ad. That's not. I was I was <laughs> I was working summers in college at a gas station on the New Jersey Turnpike, and then. Uh, I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to do this for forever. So uh, let's see what the, what's out there. And it was at that point, there wasn't any, you know, um, LinkedIn or anything like that. Ad in the newspaper, looking for help. Just um, responded to the ad and uh, got hired. And that was that basically um, got pulled in, worked in pretty much every department we had, started uh, intern just shopping for products and um do, do, at the duplication room at the time, right? Or traditional analyst role and so on and so forth. But it's, it's kind of been like the mob, one of those things where you get in and then you get out, but it's really, <laughs> man, I'm telling you. So, uh, so yeah, just grew with the business over the past 20 years or so. And the most, the latest role, as you mentioned, is the chief digital officer where Alice came in uh, probably about two, three years ago now. And um, at that point, I was actually on the account side of the business, uh, managing some clients like Kraft Pines and such. But um, I guess Alex saw some of the uh, analytical or I guess organizational strengths that I had and started to move me more into an operations role. And that's okay. really how we transformed to the digital uh, chief digital officer role. Okay, super cool. But it's it's been like the last 20 years. so. I, I, I had a cup of coffee in, in the world of neuroscience in my career. So it, it, the last 20 years have been, you know, there's so much has happened when it comes to behavioral science. So tell us a little bit about that ride. It's going to be fun. Well, the, the behavioral science part actually has 
has not, to me, has not changed all that much. Just if you're talking about foundationally what we're looking at, what we're trying to understand, um, you, you, you want to understand what people do. So basically what they tell you is great, but what yeah. they actually do is really telling and really what you're, you're trying to understand or, or record, uh, observe behavior. That piece has always been there, even back in the PRS days. Now there's just a formal name for it. We were kind of doing behavioral research before it was actual behavioral. So, um, so yeah, that's that. It's been interesting to see the evolution of almost like the branding of <laughs> behavioral research. Right now, everybody is kind of adding that to their repertoire. But it's been the foundation of what we've done forever, even if it wasn't called that at the time. So the eye tracking per se, I mean, yeah. that, it's, it's, it's system one. It's how, what, what are people doing? And we're just observing that and recording and measuring that. And then having your system two, which is your attitudinal interview. And those were the two core pieces of how we did research back then. And to some degree still do just using different tools, better tools to understand behavior. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's actually almost like the industry finally caught up to uh, to the vision that that your company had as, as its foundation. So it's it's really cool to see. And uh, it's, it has, has to have been really fun to, to watch that evolve and happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's it was a slow burn transformation over the years. And then uh, last year, obviously, that was a watershed moment. And I mean, it was probably five, six years ago that the industry started a rapid change, just being disrupted with technology and different players who focused in different areas. But, uh, and then you layer COVID in on top of that and it's been truly disruptive. And for us, we, did, we, we saw it as, we see it as an opportunity. It was a direction we were already headed in terms of making the business more digital, leveraging technology to understand behavior and intertwining the two so that we can help our clients, our customers um, understand and make better, better, better business decisions in the end. Sure, cool, cool, awesome. Well, we, we've talked before and you know that I used to ride motorcycles. I, yep. li I live vicariously for my brother who's a philosophy professor during the week and a motorcycle <laughs> mechanic on the weekends. But man, you're doing the thing for real. <laughs> So tell us about tell us about your your sort of racing career in in uh, in motorcycles. Yeah, so that's another one I kind of fell into. Um, actually, rode little mini bikes and three wheelers and whatnot when I was a kid, but it was nothing around <laughs> the neighborhood. So, yeah, exactly. And then um, probably so so growing up was pretty athletic. Played basketball pretty competitively. Played played in college and whatnot hurt my knee and could, I could still play, but it was like, ah, I can't compete the way I wanted to, always been competitive. Right. So I, I need something to fill the time. And um, I think I saw somebody riding a motorcycle or a video or something. I was like, you know what? We're gonna get back into motorcycling. That looks, looks cool. on top of it, get all the chicks, everything, all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> so I was doing a lot of street riding at the time. And um, I ended up ordering a part on eBay. Uh, just a random part, and I noticed that the the shop that was selling it was local. So I said, "Ah, can I come down and just pick it up rather than you guys shipping it to me?" Sure, come in. I get down there, and they it, it was like a bunch of dealers trying to get you to to buy something from them. They were 
they're like, hey, you should think about getting off the street, come to the track, we'll give you a suit, you don't have to bring anything, we'll trailer your bike, so on and so forth. <laughs> I don't know. Finally broke down, went to a track day, which basically is just a controlled environment. Right. Like, might sound familiar, <laughs> but a controlled environment so you can ride safe, go fast and be safe. So uh, that and was hooked from there. So I started doing track days and wasn't really into the whole racing thing. I mean, the race doing track days seemed dangerous enough, but then racing, you had a bunch of guys trying to to, to win, then it takes yeah. it to a level. And so, but had a bunch of buddies who were racing and oh, it makes you faster. You actually, it's not that, it's not really more dangerous. You're, it's again, controlled environment. Sure. And, um, this is 2017-ish, I said, Finally broke down and said, okay, I'll, I'll do a round or two and uh, got another taste. It was just another level of adrenaline. Yeah. When you grit up and you're, you're trying to beat that guy next to you or catch that guy in front of you, uh, it's a whole different experience. So did that 2017, a couple of rounds, 2018, did the full season and um, basically started at the back finishing, you know, in the last, in the last 10, by the end of the season, I was running high to mid package. Okay. And 2019. Um, I didn't have huge expectations, but the first race of the season, um, it was in South Carolina and get a good start. And I'm like, man, the, the front guys aren't getting away from me. I, I think I'm keeping up with them. Yeah. <laughs> and if and then you just get a little bit of confidence. And uh, next thing you know, I'm running at the front and actually won two championship, two class championships in the region. And then three, um, placed top three in another four or so uh, classes. So did pretty well in 2019 and got bumped up to expert, which now is a, basically starting over again. Yeah. Slow guy's an expert. Guy. Yeah, the slow guy's an expert are fast. So, <laughs> well, so how, does, how does this, league work or the circuit that, that you're talking about yeah so it's a it's it's um it's called well at least the club or the um the the racing is ccs it's championship cup series it's okay. a there, there are some pro riders that do it on i guess when they have breaks in between but it's primarily more like a, a club racing organization okay some of the guys are actually ex-pros. There's a guy from World Superbike who races in it. Uh, and, but it's, it's literally almost like the um, minor leagues of motorcycle racing. And right. a lot of up-and-coming kids, that's where they start. They start. So you have a bunch of 14, 15-year-olds who are just, sure. that's no fear. Just <laughs> you, you basically, um, there's different regions that they have it in. And then they have um, ex amateur and expert class. And then different classes for the bikes. So there are uh, classes where you can't do many changes to the bikes, classes where you can make the fully customize the bikes, different right. just to make sure it's uh, fair. So it's it's pretty it's pretty intense. And then just getting out there and gritting up. And there's sprint races which are shorter, and then right. um, TU races which are about 25 minutes long, 25 minutes long. So it's uh, it's pretty dynamic. Now, now, what size bikes do you race? Me, uh, I'm personally on a 600. Okay. The, the a lot of the guys they're running 1000s nowadays. Mm -hmm. uh, I personally like the the middleweight, the middle size bike. It's yeah. Giving, it's, 
it's enough power to to scare you to death, but also it's agile enough. <laughs> yeah. So you feel in control of the bike versus the bike controlling you. Yeah. Now, when when we talked about this before, <clears throat> the thing that that really struck me as as you described this experience was you think of you think of racing motorcycles as being really a physical type of exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and one that might take you a lot of time, right? So you're out on the track all the time, but, uh, but your answer surprised me. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so if you think about motorcycle racing, number one, it's, it's kind of like car racing or any motorsports. It's pretty expensive and access to the track is, tends to be fairly limited. So you, you, you actually spend not as, you spend less time on track than you walk track. So between the prep, which is making sure the bike is ready, safe, secure, um, and just getting to the track. Tracks generally aren't in city centers. They're hours and hours away. So you're you're driving, I said, South Carolina or Virginia or whatever it is. And then just the time you spend on it, you're you're literally getting probably on a track day, you're getting probably 15 minutes an hour, and there might be seven or eight sessions. So uh, and that's that's an extent day. So you're doing all of that work. So you have to do a lot of the prep work, both to the bike, but you mentally to get faster. So there's a lot of practice and mental exercises and um, things of that nature that actually will help you to get faster off the bike versus trying to do it all while you're on the bike. So you have to looking at track track maps and determining what the optimal line is, looking at data, all of yeah. that comes into play yeah yeah it's it's really interesting that it's it's so much more mental than than i would have thought you know you think it's just adrenaline it's going fast sorry i keep adjusting my computer i had to plug in my computer but um so it's it's fascinating so is there anything thinking about your experience riding is there anything you've taken from that experience that you've you've actually applied in your your day job at behaviorally yeah uh, there's a ton of it it's to me, that there, there are a ton of parallels, a lot of things that, to your point, you, you can take one for one and apply to not just the day job, but to life in general. Um, right. So the, the biggest, one of the biggest things, the most obvious ones is isolating variables. If you're a researcher, you know the importance of that. Yeah. If you are into any kind of motorsports, you'll under, you understand the importance of isolating variables because unlike say a sport like basketball where it's you shoot the ball and it goes in and it's either it went in or it didn't go in uh, motorcycle it's more nuanced than that like to, to go two seconds faster there are a lot of other things that are going on and right isolate the variables you're unsure why you went faster or why you went slower so making like a suspension change of uh, raising the ride height or what have you yeah. um, want to do that with a bunch of other things because you don't know which one worked or which one <laughs> didn't work. So yeah. that's a big one that parallels. Um, the, the amount of work that I mentioned is probably the, uh, another big one. Um, just the prep work and it parallels in just the, the getting the data or information. Sometimes it isn't easy. Sometimes you have to find ways, new and different ways to get that. Like for me, I, I actually installed some... Um, data collection software and, and hardware on my, on my bike so I can see where I break, where, when I get on the throttle, how hard I'm getting on the throttle. So uh, that's, a, that's another one, pushing beyond your comfort zone. 
So uh, going 140, 50 <laughs> miles an hour on a bike, it's not natural. So, yeah, uh, but it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's it's awesome. It is scary at times, but the adrenaline rush compensates for that. But it's it's something that you have to your head. Okay, I'm going to push beyond the comfort zone. And again, you take that to your professional, like what we do. Uh, you, you don't want to always do the same things, or else you're going to get the same results. You have to push beyond see how that works. Sometimes you fall down, it hurts. Hopefully you don't get hurt, but you have to push the line a little bit to, to really see results or, or see what difference it makes. And then one of the last ones is, um, I would say is, uh, I guess there's no such thing as a perfect bike. It kind of relates to the same thing. Um, you, you can have a bike that's really stable and fast in the straights, but it's harder to turn. So you, you it's more of a People sometimes think you just get on the bike and ride it, but the, if you try, if you set it up one way, it's going to hurt you in, in, in another way. So you have to find that perfect compromise that's going to get you that best result. And yeah. it applies to again professional and um, professional and just life in general. It's it's always a little bit of a give and a take. Yeah, yeah, cool. It's there's there's so much under the surface. Uh, so, yeah, get to get on a bike and drive it really fast, and, uh, but there's there's just so much underneath it. So that's that's really cool. So so you have spent let's say twenty years, yep, <laughs> at behaviorally, right? So yep. uh, you're at one of the most innovative companies in this space. Um, curious to know from your perspective uh, what what you see. You know what when when you look a little bit into the the research future, what what's there? Yeah, there, there's a lot changing at the moment. I mean, I think that's fairly obvious, but um, I guess to start with what the cost of entry has pretty much been the same over the past, I guess, seven, eight, 10 years, where obviously quality is one, but speed has been the other one that's been the, the, the key thing that a lot of our clients are looking for. Speed sure. is speed. Um, but again, I, I put that in the cost of entry bucket because everybody has to do that. Where, where you, you're going to separate yourself and where you're going to be able to help our clients, consumers basically make better business decisions. It comes from the understanding the behavior piece. And it, it might be a little bit cliche, but uh, you really just need to figure out the tools that are going to be able to help you to get that to get to that point yeah. uh, effectively, kind of like the bike. What's going to help you get there the fastest? Kind of get into the corner and get out of the corner the fastest, but then also understand why it happened and have those diagnostics. So um, think we're we're doing a lot of work tied to that and that ties to the speed, but also having those tools and just a little bit of shameless self promotion. But uh, that's flash.ai tool that we recently launched that um, basically takes leverages AI because again, that speed is a cost of entry. We need to understand what's happening early in the design process or whatever, whatever it may be. AI is a tool that basically is in, an, is in, an infant, is in its infancy with use in the um, research world. And it's that we're layering, leveraging so that we can then put the behavioral piece of it on top of that so that we can essentially predict what's going to happen in market when you introduce yeah. 
package, the design, the structure, what have you. So um, yeah, it's, it's definitely dynamic. There's more stuff like that that we are working on. Um, again, just becoming more tech enabled versus being too heavily reliant on one piece or the other. Again, it comes back to this idea of that middle ground compromise uh, being well balanced. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's really exciting. You know, having spent my career uh, in this space uh, to see that uh, we're getting much much closer to to accurate predictions forecasting, mm -hmm. right? which has always been uh, the real goal of of what we do uh, in some some instances. It's it's exciting and uh, it's not surprising to me that that behaviorally is is leading the charge. So. Always, Absolutely. always been there. Always been there. <laughs> got to push on the bike. Got to push off the bike. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Cool. All right. So, so this is a podcast, right? So I, yeah. Um, we all consume media, whether it be podcasts or or what have you. <laughs> thinking about what what you're listening to and watching these days, either for you know professional inspiration or just just for fun. What what comes to mind for you? Yeah, there's a couple of different things. So uh, more generally, I tend to, so I cut the cord years back. So <laughs> figured having 200 channels and watching maybe two of them probably wasn't the best investment. <laughs> but so now I've, uh, I have this new thing where I'm uh, very into documentaries and right. uh, the newest genre of documentaries tend to be science ones, uh, you know. Sure mechanics and things of that nature stuff that I'll never fully understand <laughs> I, I spend a lot of time watching documentaries uh, in, in any spare time that I have uh, tied to that kind of stuff cool uh, personally from a podcast standpoint um, one of the ones that I do spend I, I leverage and it ties more to motorcycle racing but a lot of it and it even talks a lot about life in general is um, Ken Hill coaching podcast he's actually a um, a coach who coaches with this, uh, with this, it's not an organization, it's a school actually, or he used to coach with this school, Yamaha Champion School. So okay. um, he, he spends a lot of time talking about technique, relating it to the real world, um, relating it to the bike, obviously, so that you can go faster, but safer. Again, leveraging those two points of uh, those two key points. And then I guess um, professionally, um, again, a bit more of a sh shameless self-promotion, but, um, and it's not for me per se, but uh, Behaviorly has its own podcast, um, Our Best Behavior that Matt Salem hosts. And uh, he does a great job just talking about digital shopper um, growth. So that's one that if you haven't checked out, you really do want to check out. So uh, those would be, I guess, the top, top three. And then- yeah. uh, I don't watch a ton of TV. I'm a movie guy as well. <laughs> All right, super cool. Well, <clears throat> you know, this is the Rock and Roll Research Podcast. I make, yep. I make no bones about that. Um, and so we've been talking motorcycles, we've been talking research, but now we got to talk rock and roll. Yep. So, <laughs> so I got to ask, I have to know, Sam, um, you're stranded on a desert island, right? You've got three records at your disposal for the rest of your days, of your choosing, of your choosing. That's a long time. But it's only three, right? So you yep. can't get sick of them. What are those records? So uh, first, I, 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 I'm old enough to actually have records. And I actually DJed in college and yes. 
that's a whole other podcast. So that's that's a whole separate deal. But um, I, I I took the I thought about it and I was like, well, you know what? It's not necessarily about the records. It's more about having uh, the right genre for the at least the three different situations that I, at least I see if you're stuck on a this approached like a researcher exactly <laughs> there's, there's gonna be when you're on that desert island the way i you're gonna be you're gonna need to be calmed in some way more so indeed, indeed. um <laughs> so so there's there's that and i don't know if i would put um michael jackson invincible in the calming but it, it's just kind of yes it's inspiring just nice to listen to so absolutely and, Invincible, nice smooth music. Uh, that that would be one. And then the second is just something to not get tired of. Something you can listen to over and over and over again. And uh, to me, this is a classic album with uh, Lauren Hill, "The Miseducation of uh, Lauren." Yes, Hill. Absolutely. So absolutely. to me, every song on that was uh, was a classic, and so something you can just listen to beginning to end. And then lastly, when you're going crazy and you just need something a little bit more aggressive. Uh, I went with Jay-Z. Um, and actually I had a- What was that? What was that? Jay-Z. Oh, Jay-Z. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. So when it needed something a little bit more aggressive, yep. give me some inspiration to figure out a way off that island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I didn't so, know about it. That so was, I had I a hard know. time picking one, but uh, yeah. Reasonable Doubt is probably my favorite Jay-Z album, but the Blueprints, all of the Blueprints and then the Black Album, it, any one of those throw them my way and we can go with it. But I'd probably pick Reasonable Doubt as the top one. Awesome, awesome, I love it. Not really rock and roll, but you know. Oh, no, 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 that, it works, it totally works, it totally works. <laughs> great stuff, great stuff. Um, yeah, awesome, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time and spending it with us here, Sam. I love, love your story. Um, so much time at Behaviorally and, and what you're doing on the side is so cool. So next time you get to Dallas, you know, you got to hit me up and we'll head to the Hasmoto Museum, which is super cool. Hey, and you should, if you're ever uh, up north, uh, come to the track, hang out. Oh, yes. Love it. I will take you up on that. So. <laughs> awesome. Thanks so much. It's been so, so much fun, Sam. Thanks so much. Rock and roll. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.